Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present... Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. I like hearing stories on Halloween, so I don't want to hear some guy ramble on about movies. I just want to be spooked. So I saved the best chapter of Tuners for you. They're going to the cultist homeworld. It's going to be a spooky chapter. All right, turn off the lights and enjoy. And I'm going to say this now because I'm not going to do an outro. I'm going to say, listen to the other podcasts on this network. There's some good stuff. You know what the schedule is. I've I've said it plenty of times. But either way, RPA Network, it's a good place to hear some good stuff for Halloween. And so I'd like to share a story with you. So yeah, enjoy the cultist's homeworld of tuners. Thank you, and good night. Chapter 28. John was asleep for what felt like a half an hour when he was woken up by a call from Hector. After the confrontation with his father, John hit DeAndre's punching bag for a while. Sleep eventually caught up to him, and John passed out on the video gaming couch. His pocket buzzed, forcing him out of a sleep. The TF3 said, All tuners report to the conference room. He was glad that he had something to do, because he didn't want to see his father at the moment, and he wanted to focus on getting Abby back. John was still pissed that his father had lied to him his whole life, 
Not that it would have made much of a difference knowing. The cultists would still come looking for him, but at least he could have prepared for it. There was also this nagging doubt that what if his sister and mother would have survived? had his parents not been as obfuscating of the reality. A lot of the inconsistencies of his childhood made a lot of sense now. In addition to the Berenstein Bears books, there were times when his father just got things wrong. Sometimes it would be a piece of pop culture, like when his dad thought the monkey sang a Beatles song. Other times his dad would go on business trips and he'd bring back something that just didn't exist in his world like when he bought John a Herschel bar. It looked so close to Hershey's bar that John had always wondered why Herschel wasn't sued out of existence. But as John grew up, his father grew more and more distant and stayed in the workshop for longer and longer hours. The gifts stopped, the conversation stopped, and for the last couple of years, it was like John was living in a house by himself. Not that John cared, his father didn't seem to do anything but yell at him for not doing his homework, missing school, tracking mud in the house, or some other stupid reasons. The less he saw of his father, the better, and now John wished that his father would have talked to him more, at least would have told him something. His father tried to pretend that everything was normal when it really wasn't. Even the cultists had never come to John's world, then there would have been a day when John cleaned out the junk in the basement and he would have found the Berenstein Bears books and some other objects from a parallel universe. Either way, it wasn't his dad's place to hide the truth from him. John was sick of adults making decisions about what was best for him without even including him in the conversation. John could make his own decisions and didn't need to be shielded from the truth. He was not the scared kid who just lost his mom anymore. He'd blot out the memory of being tuned to the universe that became his home. John pushed the door open to the conference room. Patel, Ludi, Meat Hook, and Hector sat around the table. One of the armors that they had acquired from Universe 89 was at the center. Hector didn't even give John a glance. He just laid into all of them. I should have you stripped of your tuning forks and be sent back to your universes. Yeah, but you won't, John said. You need us to get Abby back, so cut the crap and tell us why we're here. He was sick of adults giving him a hard time and decided that he would never put up with it again. Hector glared at him. What you did was reckless, stupid, and could have gotten you all killed. I give the word and all of you will be replaced tomorrow. And if any of you make an unauthorized tune again, I will make good on my word, and you'll be out of here." Hector paused, and to John's surprise, he said, "'But John's right. We have a job to do, and we are going to get Abby back. Ludi, tell us, how does this work?' Ludi stammered on his words and gave the group the rundown of the power armor. He put one of the gauntlets from the suits and then picked up a dumbbell marked 500 pounds as if it weighed nothing. Uh, "'Under normal gravity conditions,' Ludi began. You'd have trouble picking up this object. Except me, bro, Meehook said. Oh, I know you, but the rest of them... Anyways, with the suit, it feels like nothing. However, when in a high-gravity zone, Ludi hit a few buttons from the virtual control panel that displayed on the air in front of him. His arm was unable to hold the weight, and it crashed to the table, leaving a dent. Uh, your strength will be completely normal. The suit will not allow you to move around the cultist world as if it were normal gravity. You won't be able to perform feats of super strength, so uh, don't try it. <laughs> Except me, bro, Meehook said. Dude, we know, Ludi said, exasperated. While Ludi and Meehook bickered, 
Hector pulled John aside and said, You have a lot of your father in you. He was tenacious and not afraid to take action. John, there are times to take action and times to strategize. Don't make the same mistakes of your father. Rash decisions get people killed. What do you mean, mistakes of my father? Hector quickly backtracked. You need to focus on the task at hand. Who'd my father get killed? That's not relevant to the... Who? John yelled. Even Meat Hook and Ludi stopped fighting. They both got quiet and looked towards them. John saw all the faces staring back at him. You know what? Screw this. I'm gonna find out myself. John stormed out of the room and didn't look back. John burst into his father's hospital room. His father was reading on a tablet and smiled at John. His smile turned to concern when he realized his son was fuming. It didn't take a genius to figure out Hector was hiding something from John. John was on the attack from the outset. What happened to Mom with the other universe? It wasn't a plane crash, was it? We, we, we thought it would be easier for you to... His dad said, Did you kill her? Why would you say that? Did you kill my mother? What about my sister? What happened, Dad? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. His dad broke, and John waited for his dad to continue. We, we retired from tuning and went back to Mother's universe. She was so happy, and, and so was I. We married, then had you a year later, your sister. You were seven when it happened. What happened? The cultists showed up on the scene. Turner's HQ had seen nothing like it before. They were something new. During the time, it was just crime, stopping people from trying to take advantage of other universes, but then everything changed. Child abductions, mutilated people who were unpure. HQ called us all in. The tuners needed a think tank. Remember when I took the temporary assignment in China? Remember living with her grandmother? That's because your mom and I were being taken back and forth from Tuner's HQ. I thought you were working. I was, just not at my day job. HQ wanted to play it smart. They kept the Tuners back and wanted to observe. I, I wanted to strike them and follow them back to their own universe. They were killing and brutalizing people in every universe where they were. Uh, so I recruited an assault team from the Tuners. Yeah, some others were newbies. Either way, they weren't ready. I got them all killed. We didn't even find where they had come from. The cultists came back after me in retaliation and followed me back to my home. I rushed to your school and told your mom to bring Ying and the rest of the family back to the rendezvous point. John remembered pulling him out of school and telling him that they were going to miss their flight. He remembered being at a strange airport. There were lots of delays. It had taken forever to get back to the United States. In hindsight, they had taken him to Tuner's HQ and relocated them to another universe. What happened to Mom? John was afraid to ask. No one realized that you could destroy a universe, much less would want to destroy one, his dad croaked. John couldn't take it anymore. John was done with his father. He couldn't stand to look at his face anymore. Son, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, I didn't intend to, John's father said. No, Dad, I won't forgive you, John said and turned around without another word. Chapter 29 Meathook Patel and Ludi stood on the tuning platform in the center of operations. They were decked out with the armor from Universe 89. The black suit made them look like a fierce paramilitary police force. Hector stood at the command unit and called out to the stations to perform their pre-tuned checks. Orders were barked out through a flurry of activity. 
Meat Hook turned to Ludi and said, Where's John, bruh? I don't know, Ludi said. How are we going to get there without him, Patel said. Yeah, man, he's like the only one that knows what the universe sounds like, Meat Hook said. I don't know, Ludi said. What are you looking at me for? Cut the chatter, Hector barked over the earphones. Once all the station said they were ready to go, the door to Ops opened. John entered the room. He wore the black armor and had a crossbow slung on his back and a sword at his side. He stepped on the platform and nodded to the other team members. Let's do this, John said. While the HQ crew went through the preliminary checks, John fiddled with the tuner dial until he found the cultist universe. Since he didn't have time to teach the others to find it on their own, he just dialed the devices for them. By the time the station crew was ready for the group, Hector signaled to go. They tuned into the cultist universe. They were immediately assaulted by the intense gravity of the world and all dropped to their knees. John booted the control software for the armor, and it took a few moments for the suit to start working. They were lucky enough to have tuned into a hallway. The walls were black and it was dimly lit. They could hear voices and see the flicker of fire from a room down the way. Even though it took less than seconds to give them the ability to move normally, under extreme pressure it felt like forever. They could hear the footsteps of two cultists around the corner. The crushing force of the armor eased once it kicked into full gear. John nodded towards a doorway and they all snuck inside. They held their breath as they heard the footfalls come closer. They breathed a little easier where the noise was past the doorway. Once the immediate danger had passed, they noticed the room for the first time. The walls were made of thick black stones like a medieval castle. There was a table in the center of the room with straps to secure a person on top of it. There were various gruesome cutting and prodding instruments against the wall. John shuddered to think about what they might have done to Abby. Patel went to the table full of torture implements and stood at the edge. There was a barred window near the ceiling that reminded John of a dungeon. What are you doing? John said in a loud whisper. I'm trying to get our bearings, Patel said. It is not as if we have Hector to guide us. John realized they were cut off from home base while they were in the cultist home universe. He tried to signal HQ, but there was no response. Not that Hector could do much for them if they could connect anyways. Most of his maps and strategy were useless in the Uncharted universe. He would be as blind as them. John climbed onto the table and viewed the landscape with Patel. From the dungeon window, he saw that they were indeed in a castle. There were stone parapets, towers, and a muddy, damp courtyard with wooden gallows at the center. A few cultists stood guard at various entrances to the courtyard. It definitely wasn't a mall. John shuddered to think that a place like this was a frequented area. The sky also disturbed John. Red lightning rippled through the dark magenta storm clouds. The trees that could be seen through the gate of the courtyard were black and gnarled. The landscape was completely different from the earth John called home. Where are we? You're the only one that knows how to get here, bro. Hey, do you think we get to name this universe? Because we're the first ones to visit? I think we should call it Universe 666. <laughs> There are clear guidelines set forth by Universe One. Yeah, dude. But we're the ones that got here first, man. Can the sky even look that color? John said to Patel. I mean, how do we breathe the air? The color of the sky is just a matter of the particles that are in it. In this case, there must be something to give it that red tinge. Most universes within tuning range are compatible with human life. 
There are some universes out there where the humans never evolved, and so maybe there is no oxygen on Earth. But those are so far removed from our own that we only see them where they happen to drift our way. Dude, Miyook said, I'm telling you, this universe is like from a heavy metal video. How can it be not Universe 666? The guidelines state that, Ludi began. Guys, John snapped, let's focus on Abby. How are we going to find her? Ludi shrugged. You're the ones who've been to this universe. I hope you had a plan. I was here for a brief moment and I couldn't exactly move. At least we seem to be in the right place to find her, Patel said while examining the torture implements. This looks like the dungeon. Maybe we should split up, Ludi suggested. We can cover more ground. Meathook and I could take one direction down the hall and you two take the other. Too risky, John said. There are way more of them than us. And we're on their home turf. It's safer if we stay together. Yeah, but... I agree with John, Patel said. So do I, bro, as much as I love our little chats. Meathook echoed. Ludi looked irritated and nervous. Well, okay... Let's go, John said. She has to be somewhere around here. John poked his head out of the room and glanced each way down the hall. There was no one. He nodded to the rest of the group, and they filed out of the room. They tiptoed towards the flickering light. They could see an opening into a large chamber. A dramatic voice burst from the room. There is only one true world. That is our world. Other universes seek to impose their will upon us, but we know there is only one truth. Other worlds seek to oppress us, but we are strong. You all are here to give up your life for the homeland. They peeked around the corner and saw a giant chamber that resembled a great hall from a medieval castle. There was a large stone pillar with a stage at the top of it in the center of the room. There were several torches lighting this space. Atop the platform was a speaker. He wore robes of crimson. A large headdress capped his head. The high priest looked as if he were a living flame. There were seven of the star scars across his forehead. He was surrounded by other priests with many different designs cut and etched into their skin all with three to six stars etched into their heads. From the look of it, the higher ranks had more adornment through mutilation. Their robes also seemed to vary with their rank. The very highest rank of the clergy on the platform looked as if they were under the blade too many times to count. Down below, there is a giant pit under the pillar. Intense heat billowed from the pit and very so often globs of lava spurted into the air. Cultists gathered as close as they could to the cavity and cheered on the high priest. The cultists down below looked like the ones who John had first encountered, except they seemed to be gathered in groups with different weapons and different styles of dress. They were gruesome, fierce, and rowdy. They seemed as interested in picking fights with each other as cheering on the high priest. The leaders of the group had to break up fights in between the war cries and the support of the ceremony up above. Today is a great day for us all. We have new brothers and sisters in arms. They come from other worlds to be purified of their evil. The strong will join us and the weak will die, the priest continued. The crowd roared their approval. They chanted, the strong survive, the weak die. The strong survive, the weak die. Two large wooden doors across the way swung open. A large group of prisoners were brought into the room. 
They're all chained together with large metal collars around their neck. The restraints were peculiar because there was a keypad on it. All the captives were teenagers and they're wearing rags that were filthy. They were scared and looked as if they had suffered from neglect. The cultists snarled and screamed at them. One group was brought up to the stone staircase leading to the platform. The high priest quieted the room down. He caressed the cheek of the first boy in the group. The kid was a waifish boy, not more than fifteen, with a mop of blonde hair and a tarnished face. The high priest patted the trembling boy's head. This boy is the first to be offered true salvation. He can either join the army of the blessed or give his life to the eternal fire. The pit in the center of the room flared when he dropped a satchel of something inside. A jet of flame shot up and the cultist screamed with excitement. Please, the boy squeaked. I, I want to go home. I'm afraid that's not up to you, child, the priest said softly. He turned back to the crowd and said, Let the test begin! The priest tapped a few buttons on the boy's collar. There was a beep and a red light, and the collar turned to green. The restraint popped off. The restraint must have been counteracting the gravity, because John could see the boy's body get heavy. He could see the boy struggle to keep standing. The high priest crossed the stage and called out, Come to me, boy. Walk to me. I, I can't, the boy yelled as he strained to hold his head up. The strong survive, the weak die, the strong survive, the weak die, the crowd chanted. You must, the high priest called back. Come to me now. The boy attempted to lift his foot. He forced it forward and stepped. The pressure was too much. He collapsed to the ground. He cried out and clutched his leg. From the angle he'd fallen, it looked like it had been broken. He breathed short and labored gasp while gravity crushed him. The crowd groaned and fell silent. The high priest approached the form of the boy and knelt beside him. You have been judged unfit to join the ranks of the blessed army, but fear not. You are still offered a place in the eternal fire. You will serve those who have fought and died for the purity of this universe. You will provide them with all the pleasures and comforts in their eternity. Now I unleash your soul to the eternal fire. A few of the elite guards hoisted the boy into the air. They walked over the pit and dangled him over it. The boy cried out, No, please, no, no! They let go as the crowd made a holy sign. The kid plummeted to the depths below. His screams ended abruptly and a plume of fire erupted from the pit. The crowd went wild with screams and cheers. The high priest calmed them down and performed the ritual again for others who were captured by the cultists. The ones that could move under the intense gravity were spared, and those who could not were tossed into the lava below. Each person who was able to walk across the stage, even if it was just about the only thing they could do, was given praise and told they were blessed with a warrior's destiny. The high priest then carved a single star into their foreheads. It was the same scar John had seen in just about every cultist, including the one who had been hiding in his universe. The crowd cheered and welcomed the strong into their fold, and the weak were discarded into the fire. The process made John sick to his stomach. John's heart sank when he realized Abby had no hope and probably had already been tossed into the flames. John turned away, and Patel grabbed his shoulder and pointed towards the stage. The high priest raised his hands to the crowd. He presented the surviving batch of captured teens. 
Even though the kids were spared the pits of the eternal fire, they still had despair in their eyes. The cultists screamed and jeered and hollered. The fights that broke out got more intense. It was chaos. The high priest lowered his hands to silence the crowd, and they settled down. While many of the blessed chosen will become proud warriors to fight and die for the purification of all universes, we must see if any of today's brethren have been chosen for the priesthood. We must know if any of today's holy army will ascend to hear the eternal flame. The song of flame is eternal. May all be cleansed by its light. The audience chanted, The song of flame, the song of flame, the song of flame. A man in a hood, who had sockets for eyes, six stars on his head and a mutilated lip to reveal his teeth, walked out with a tray made from bone. On the tray was a device that looked like a Walkman to John. It wasn't smooth and sleek like the tuning forks, but kind of clunky, boxy, and old. It had a pair of headphones on it. What's that? John whispered. It's one of the tuning forks, a, a TF-1, I think, Ludi responded. It comes directly from Universe 1, and, and there aren't any known to have survived, though it's still, you know, in the tech archives back on HQ. Patel shushed them, and they continued to watch the ritual. The high priest put the headphones on the surviving candidate. He said to the candidate, do you hear the song of the eternal flame? Boy crinkled his face and listened closely. He looked nervously at the lava pit below and said, I, uh, uh, hear music. He does not hear the song of the eternal flame. He has been chosen to fight and die. Let this be his first day as a warrior. Rodos clan will break his will and teach him the ways. A small group of men and women went wild in the audience. A man with five star scars on his forehead and even more scars than the others, presumably Rodar, climbed the stairs leading to the stage and dragged his recruit to his clan. The members initiated the boy by kicking him in the chest until he was unable to stand. The high priest went down the line and asked the captured boys and girls if they heard the Song of the Flame. John knew he was checking to see if they could tune. There might be hope for Abby, as the ability to tune seemed to be coveted by the cultists. One by one, the group tried on the headphones, and when they failed to describe the sound of alternate universes, they were divided up among the various clans. John noticed that each clan seemed to have a weapon of choice. Some had gnarled swords, some had bow and arrows, covered with a green substance. John even saw blades that ejected from the arms like John had first encountered. The Armblade clan was particularly stoic, and when a recruit came into the fold, they installed one of the blades on the spot without any attempt to dull the pain. The clan leaders each had five stars etched into their head. It looked like as only the priests could go up to six or seven. Each clan seemed to have different initiation rituals with the new recruits. Some would burn the new members, others would pour a foul liquid down their throats. One female leader cut off the pinky finger of a recruit, and from the looks of it, the fingers were made into jewelry for those who earned more scars. It was a perverse system and John couldn't watch anymore. He was about to suggest they disappear when the last one, a dainty girl of no more than 15, who barely made it across the stage, described the noise accurately. I, I hear static almost a hum her voice trembled it's like a like a white noise but there's so many different tones and qualities to it it's hard to describe it feels like just under the sound of the music the high priest smiled and said what is your name child uh, magdalena he turned to the audience and declared magdalena has heard the song of the flame she will be a priestess of fire may her light shine through eternity all hail magdalena 
The warriors cried out and knelt, All hail Magdalena! The rest of the priesthood lifted her up and paraded her across the stage. The high priest cut his own arm and dripped blood onto Magdalena's face. Tears streamed down her eyes. The high priest distraught a wicked rune on her face. Afterwards, he cut her arm in the same place and used the blood to draw another rune. Two priests turned a crank and a chain raised from the pit while the girl was being decorated in blood. At the end, the chain was a rod that glowed red. The high priest grabbed the rod and his hand sizzled when he grabbed it. He turned towards the girl and called out, The eternal fire baptizes you in blood. It welcomes you with fire. All hail the flame. All hail the fire. The crowd chanted, All hail the flame. All hail the fire. The priest leaned down to the glowing rod and turned away. The tumors retreated down the hall. The girl screamed and the chants rose to a crescendo. Do you think Abby? Miuk said. No, John said. We all know that you and Abby are a thing, but you have to face the possibility. It's more than that, John said. He heard it phrased about them being a thing before and sent butterflies into his stomach. Although he didn't have time to process his feelings right now. She was a tuner in trouble and he'd fight just as hard for any of them. We don't even know if they put her through that ritual. She's a tuner, probably one of the few who's a real threat to them. I don't think they would treat her like some kid they adopted from a mall. Abby is a tuner, and tuners don't leave their friends to die. If there's a chance, even a small one, we have to find her. I'm not disagreeing with you, Patel said. But there's an army in there. We have the invisibility cloaks, John said. Maybe we should find out where they're taking that Magdalena girl. There's a good chance Abby might be there, too. Ludi said the armor would tear the invisibility cloaks if we try to wear them over it, and wearing them under the armor will not do any good. You would have known this if you had stayed to learn about the suits. Yeah, bro. I think they noticed a couple of exoskeletons walking around. Hey, where's Ludi anyways? They searched up and down the hallway, and there was only three of them. They called out his name and whispered into the hallway. They even went to the spot where they were viewing the ritual, and there was no sign of him. There's no sign of struggle, Patel said. Yeah, bro. I could have sworn he was, like, right behind me when I got out of the room. Do you think one of the cultists got him? It's possible. He also might have been scared and tuned back to the base. I wouldn't blame him if he did. He's not the warrior type, John said. Either way, our best bet is to find, you know, Abby and him. we got to find out what they took this Magdalena girl. Yeah, but how are we going to do that? Just as Meathook spoke, three cultists rounded the corner. They had robes and a hood that covered their face. Meathook pulled out his hammer. Never mind, bro. I think I figured it out. Patel and John reached for their weapons. Hands off. 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.